listening to the Prevailwood Podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right into today's message from the Word of God. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, beginning at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, which is what we'll get into in a moment, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, and there's a difference between the two, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, yes, those that get drunk, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I like verse 11, but such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you are washed, or were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Meaning Paul knew that there would be others that would remain the same. Or these individuals happened to have come in Christ or came in Christ and perhaps didn't have these activities. But nonetheless, they still needed to repent of sin and place faith in Christ alone. But look at the word idolaters. This word idolatry or idolaters is pivotal. We'll see this as a recurring theme as we search the scriptures. Uh, Just last week, many of us have gotten word that Tina Turner had passed away. And many were shocked. And uh, I think either the same week or the week before, uh, Jim Brown, the famous football player, he too had passed away different days. At the close of business, at the close of today, 150,000 people will have perished from the face of the earth and their number came up. Uh, With Tina Turner, articles have stated that she was a Buddhist to the end. In an interview, she stated after enduring a mini-stroke and liver cancer and a replacement of a kidney that died, uh, that she said that she was ready for death when her number came. But she also acknowledged that she was a Buddhist. Now, this is not a personal attack on Tina Turner, but this is an attack on their idolatry. This is the scripture. The attempts to use idol gods to make it appear that uh, they are serving God in, in heaven and all is well is a farce. For anyone that serves an idol god, they will not inherit 
the kingdom of God? What will they inherit? And this is a statement that many preachers, myself included, have steered away from because we feared the people more than we feared God. We do not want to say that if a person is serving an idol God, that they're in hell right now. There were other articles that said this about Tina Turner, that she was a devout Buddhist to the end. There is no question in my mind that she is in hell right now. Oh, that's a mean thing to say, Pastor. No, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm telling you the truth. Idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 16 verse 16 says this, that he that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes not shall be damned or condemned, however word you want to use. We all know that to be condemned means that you are convicted of the crime of sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22 says that the scripture has confined all under sin. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 said, And through one man sin entered into this world, and death was passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is not an attack on Tina Turner, this is an attack on the idolatry that she gave herself to. We hear this quoted uh, every week pretty much that in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 uh, Jesus said that not everyone that says to me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never, the word never is defined as not at any time. I never, not at any time knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. And then we read out of the book of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. Also known 
as Broadway. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads or which leads to life and there are few who find it. So there are many people that say that there are many ways into heaven. You know the Oprah Winfrey crowd. Those individuals have said that there are many ways to God. No. There is only one way. And Jesus is the only way. For he said in the book of John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And then we have Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So if you want to use Buddha, you are risking eternity in hell. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be safe. So if Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes unto the Father but by me, that closes the door on everybody else. Go to John chapter 10 and verse 7. That's why Paul said what he said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, also to the Greek. We must never be ashamed of saying that Jesus is the only way. When Oprah Winfrey said that there are many paths to God, there was one individual that stood up and she said, the Bible says Jesus is the way. And they had to cut the commercial. Because when the truth comes, the devil got to go to commercial. Because he doesn't want the truth out that Jesus is the way. Millions of people watching that saw and heard that Jesus is the only way. Here in John chapter 10, look at verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Now when he mentions thieves and robbers, he is speaking of the Sanhedrin. And of course this also includes the twisted way of their traditions which usurped the commands of God. So all who ever came before me, Jesus said, are thieves and robbers. Why? Because they want to steal the sheep. They want to rob the head of the church of his sheep. 
All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I showed a video of, of a shepherd and shepherd had sheep. They were grazing on the pastures. They were all scattered. And there were individuals that were standing there that said, we want to call the sheep like you do so that they would come. So he said, go ahead and call. In, in other words, go ahead and call. So they, they tried to use a call. A couple of sheep looked up and said, nah. <laughs> And when the shepherd showed up and said and gave the call, all the sheep stopped what they were doing and ran to the shepherd. Not only did they hear his voice, but they obeyed his voice. But you see, the robbers and the thieves, they called, but the sheep did not hear them. And then look at this in verse 9. I am the door. Jesus is the only door. The only door. Now I know that in the world we got door number one, door number two, door number three, door number five, door number ten, door number a hundred. But there's only one door. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not, uh, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And this is eternal life. We're not talking about your best life now. Because in this life, you will have tribulation. So be mindful of that. You will have trouble. You will have moments where you will go through. But the Lord is always with you wherever you go, even in the trouble. Now you got to know the difference between what kind of trouble. Sometimes the trouble is because you're a child of God and it's persecution. There are other kinds of trouble that you started because you were disobedient and God is using it to chastise you to bring you back into obedience so that way you won't be condemned with the world. So the abundant life is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Idolatry is serious, but let's, let's get into to Buddhism a little bit, just so that way we can cover all the bases. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, uh, chapter 14 rather, Paul said that God is not the author of confusion as, the, as, it, as in all the churches. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches. That's, that's what that scripture says. So God is not confused. And the whole purpose of Jesus saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life is to eliminate the confusion. So what is Buddhism? In a nutshell, and as confusing as it is, is an Indian religion or philosophical tradition based on the teachings attributed to the Buddha. It originated in present-day North India as a, a, a particular movement, a Saramana, which is spelled S-R-A-M-A-N-A. 
A movement in the 5th century BC before Christ and gradually spread throughout much of Asia via the Silk Road and if you want to know anything about the Silk Road it was a, a trade route of silk from the east to the west. It is the world's fourth largest religion with over 520 million followers. Buddhists who comprise 7% of the global population of around 2-3 billion people. 7%. The Buddha's central teachings emphasize the aim of attaining liberation from attachment or clinging to existence. See how confusing that is? Attaining liberation from attachment or clinging to existence. You don't know whether you're coming or going. Which is said to be marked by impermanence, which means the state or fact of lasting for a limited period of time. Well, duh, we're going to die. Our life is like a vapor, the Bible tells us. It also teaches about dissatisfaction slash suffering and the absence of lasting essence. The absence of lasting tranquility. He endorses the middle way, which is a path of spiritual development that avoids both extreme asceticism, which means severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgences, which is typical for religious reasons. And hedonism, which means the pursuit of pleasures, sensual self-indulgences, like sexual immorality, drinking, smoking dope, things of that nature. A summary of this path is expressed in the Noble Eightfold Path, a cultivation of the mind through observance of meditation and Buddhist ethics. Other widely observed practices include monasticism, which means taking refuge in the Buddha. The Dharma, which is spelled D-H-A-R-M-A, and the Sangha, which is spelled S-A-N-G-H-A, and the cultivation of perfections. The doctrine asserts that all of the conditioned existence, without exception, is transient or lasting for a short period of time. Evanescent, which means soon passing out of sight or memory. Inconstant, which means frequently changing, variable or irregular. All temporal things, now if you want to know the source of this is from Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia, whether material or mental, are compounded objects 
in a continuous change of condition subject to decline to decline and destruction all physical and mental events are not metaphysically real in other words the things that she's going through in life is just a mirage you know, like you're out there in the desert and you're suffering heat stroke and you look up and you see sand, but then in an instant you see a, 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 a tree, a palm tree with flowers around it and a water spring. But you crawl up to it and all you did was crawled up into more sand. And so they're, uh, they're saying that this life is not real. It's just a mirage. All physical and mental events are not metaphysically real. They are not constant or permanent. They come into being and dissolve. Just like I said in that little illustration, they, they have a heat stroke. They see up in their eyes a, a palm tree and, and flowers and, and water, a spring of water, and they crawl up to it and it dissolves, it disappears. All they did was crawled up into more sand. Just because a person, well-known or not, dies a tragic or a normal natural death, it's not a ticket or a guarantee into heaven. Remember the scriptures that we read, that not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So that's just one example. Uh, what is the will of the Father? John chapter 3 and verse 3. Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Then you have Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. You see, these are all, uh, these idle gods, and they're dangerous, they're all dangerous. These idle gods fall under the category of what seems right. Go to the book of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, to a man, but the end is the way of death. You see, what seems right, and those things that we listed out of Buddhism seem right, but guess what? Its end is the way of death. So you could be involved in what seems right, but seems right is no guarantee that it is right. It sounds good that we are to abandon all indulgences, that we are to suppress our urges and impulses and, impulses and desires. It seems right. To sit there and meditate all day long. It seems right to even sit in church. But if you're not born again, it means nothing. You've been to a service, but you never repented. That means to turn from sin and place faith on Christ alone. And to obey the commandments of the Lord Jesus for the rest of your life. What's the guarantee that... that the Bible and Jesus is right and Buddha is wrong. We'll get into that in, the, in a moment, but I want to give you another scripture. I'll answer that question in a moment. 
as we're going through the message. Proverbs chapter 16, look at verse 25. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. We're going to see similar words of what we read in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, it seems right to be in church, but there's a, there's a difference between coming to church and being in Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, people. Yes, people should come to church, and hopefully and prayerfully, the pastor is preaching the gospel. See, the intent of this message about idolatry and where Tina Turner end up is to offend you. Its purpose is to offend you. You may disagree with pastors shouldn't be offensive to people. Well, wait a minute. You offended God with your sin. What makes you think that you shouldn't be offended with your way of what seems to be right? You could be playing on the keyboard or singing in a choir or being an usher or sweeping the floor inside of a church or giving out food to the, to the hungry and all of those things and all of those things are good things to do, but they can't earn you salvation. All of the works that I've listed out of Buddhism is about what you can do to be enlightened, what you can do to attain salvation, but those things in and of itself cannot save. There's a way that seems, it seems right. But you see, the full commitment to Christ demands that you give up sin. You give up what we've listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you give up fornication, that you give up idolatry, that you give up adultery, that you give up homosexuality. And in the definition of homosexuals here, this definition is catamites, which means men having sex with little boys. Nor sodomites, men having sex with men. You see, they all want to be included in the kingdom. So they're finding that in certain places in churches where this is not allowed, they're starting their own denominations. And they're calling it church. And that you can't do because there's a difference between holy and unholy. The difference. Nor thieves. Even if you've stolen something of a lesser value. You see, I like the illustration that Ray Comfort used. If I put a wallet on the table and put $100 bills in there, but there's a $1 bill in there, but instead of you taking the $100 bill, which is very rare, you take the $1 bill, you're still a thief regardless of its value. Even a penny. Even a half a penny, even if you steal a quarter of a penny, it wasn't yours. Thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. Covetous, drunkards, 
You know, there's a lot of argument on the internet and everywhere about, well, it's all right to drink. Look, you know what's going to happen when you do. There is always a percentage of alcohol in your system, even if you just take a sip. And even these days, you got to be careful with mouthwash. Yeah, mouthwash. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor revilers, in other words, individuals that always want to start trouble. And extortioners, what, what will happen? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so that's why they want to include all the other gods, because all the other gods doesn't say anything about the sins that you are involved in. All they're concerned about is you coming in and doing what they want you to do to attain your own righteousness. But it's impossible. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works that we should walk in, that, that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We do not do works to get saved. We do good works as a result of us being saved. It's natural for you to do right after you get saved. It's natural. Go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. You see, we, we, that, that's the whole purpose. And, and, and how, how you can end the argument when you're witnessing, when, when they, they always say, well, I'm serving this God, serving that God, serving that. You just put them all in a basket and say, it's all works-based. You're trying to work and earn your salvation, and you can't do that. Because it's all an act of grace because of his mercy. So in the book of Titus, chapter 3... And verse, uh, verse 4, starting there. But when the kindness and the love of, our, of God our Savior toward man appeared. How did it appear? It appeared through Christ. Remember what it says in the book of Romans chapter 5. That God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, that was the kindness that God extended to, extended to us. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We have a vague uh, remembrance of what this mercy is. But mercy is preventing you from getting what you rightfully deserve. And all of us, and no one is exempt, deserve death. You have to come into Christ in order for you to avoid the second death. The whole purpose of coming into Christ is to avoid the second death, which is the ultimate wrath of God. The purpose of mercy is to prevent God from putting you there because of sin and your insistence on sinning against God. 
And Tina Turner had this insistence. She wanted to be a Buddhist to the end. And she paid for it. She paid for it. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he, God, pointed, put, rather poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, just in case you don't know what justification means, it means to be made innocent though you are guilty, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Today, every last one of us is under a physical death penalty. There is a day in which we'll come where we'll give up this life on this planet. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this the judgment. So if death is true on one hand, judgment is true on the other. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. It is impossible, Hebrews 6 tells us, for God to lie. So death came, judgment is coming. Death came, judgment is coming. So if you're on that path of what seems right, it'll lead you all the way to death. Go to the book of Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, verse 1. Like I said before, there's many that seem to believe that if a person died or perished in such a way, they deserve to enter into heaven. Or if, they, or if a known person or unknown person died a death, a natural death, by the various diseases that are upon the earth, that they deserve to get into heaven. Well, the Bible refutes that thinking in the book of Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him, meaning Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. In other words, these men weren't doing anything but doing religious stuff. Because when you're dealing with sacrifices, evidently that's dealing with religious things, things that are of a religious nature. But Pilate decided to kill them and mix all of their bloods together. And Jesus answered and said in verse 2 to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? In other words, they sat there and said, Man, Pilate did that? Boy, they must have been at the top of the list for sin. And they're deserving of that because they're sinners. Well, wait a minute. Jesus said, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. A lot of people, you know, were upset probably at what I and many others have said about what happened on 
I mean, I was even out of my mind to think that it was just a attack. We're Americans. We need to go down there and, and take care of the Taliban. No, that would have been wrong. I probably would have ended up dead. But it was judgment. God unleashed judgment on 9-11. And they perished. We don't know to the degree of the amount of people that were in Christ or not in Christ that perished, but we do have a clear indication from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 that many died that were not in Christ on that day. And only few were in Christ, if any. Look at verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you shall all likewise or in the same manner perish. So you could be religious all you want. But if you're not in Christ, if you don't repent... You will perish. Remember what it says in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have everlasting life. You see this perish that Jesus is speaking of. Is not just the perishing of the physical body. But is the perishing of the spiritual body. The spirit man and the soul enters into a place of perishing. But it's eternal. There is no satisfaction. In fact, go to the 16th chapter, the 16th chapter of the book of Luke. You see, a lot of people want scripture that gives assurances that, hey, everybody is going to get in. Nope. Everybody is not getting in. Look here in the book of Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. Now watch what, how this plays out. There was a certain rich man. Now, when Jesus said there was, that it is certain, it is not a parable. Because the difference between a parable and what's certain is that a parable describes a story which conveys a spiritual meaning. But when it's, it's certain, that means there is no story here to reveal a story. It is a story that actually happened. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now remember when Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 19? The rich man here was one of those individuals that, that never entered the kingdom of God. But what did he do? He put on nice fancy clothes and he fared sumptuously. In other words, he ate good food. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. So now we see that this is it's a certain, right? So that means that the story happened. The rich man was in the world, but Lazarus was righteous. Even in his poor condition, he never, ever turned away his righteousness. Which is a testament that no matter what your condition is, you stay faithful to God no matter what. 
No matter how many times you go through, no matter what you go through, if everything is taken from you, Christ, you hold on to. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. In other words, people put him there, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sword. The only ones that came to comfort him were the dogs. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Just in case you don't know what Abraham's bosom is, there are two compartments of Hades. There is one side called Abraham's bosom where the children of Abraham that lived a righteous life would end up and it was call, also called paradise. Because remember when Jesus was on the cross and he had two malefactors uh, uh, crucified with him, one on the left and one on the right. One of them uh, mocked, both of them mocked Jesus, but one of them stopped and the other one continued. And the other thief said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the Abraham's bosom side. Now, as we get into the story, you're going to see the two differences of the two sides. Again, the middle portion of verse 22. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, this rich man that lived in sin, that practiced sin, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. In other words, Abraham hugged his own son. <laughs> because he's a son of Abraham. Then he cried and said, the rich man, Father Abraham, you see, just because you're in Abraham is not a guarantee to get to the Abraham's bosom side. Just because you came to church today is no guarantee that you are a child of God in heaven. Or going to heaven. There's no guarantee. You see you have to repent. Jesus said in, Mar in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Repent or turn from sin. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 24. Then he cried and said father Abraham have mercy on me. Notice he's crying to Abraham and not to God. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented where? In this flame. In other words, the rich man had I am to be served and Lazarus is to serve. He had this pride about him. I'm rich. Send Lazarus. Tell him to come here. Ah, but what was Abraham's response? But Abraham said, son. See, he acknowledged the rich man as his son. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said son. Sounds like the neighborhood kind of talk. What's up, son? Son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus evil things. 
But now he is comforted and you are tormented. You are tormented. The word torment is from the Greek word ordinao, which is spelled O-D-Y-N-A-O, which means to grieve, to be in sorrow, to cause intense pain, to be in anguish, be tormented, to torment or distress one's self. And you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. You see, that should remind you of Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus spoke and said that hell has been created for the devil and his angels. So there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. Now, you know they've tried. Look, you weren't righteous. You ended up in hell. You know you want to get out. So guess what you're going to do? You are going to find a way out. And then you look over there, and that's where you want to go. And you see Abraham's bosom. It's nice over there. It's pleasant over there. It's a paradise over there. You want to jump and try to get over there. You know somebody tried it. You know somebody tried it. Look, you ain't got to be a brainiac to figure that one out. Because if you're in torment, you want to get out of it. If you're in pain with intense pain, you want to get out of it. You know some people try to jump down to try to find a way, find the bottom, walk across, climb up, and get over there. Nope, this gulf is too big. And perhaps it may be, perhaps, the bottomless pit. Or a bottomless pit. Then he said in verse 27, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. So the rich man sees that sees the impossibility of Lazarus coming over with just a dip of water on his finger. He see he acknowledges the impossibility. So he, he thinks about the next best thing. I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. Why? For I have five brothers. Those five, see, there were six, or maybe more, but, but from here, no, no, it's not more. It was six of them, but he has five left. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now, what is that saying to us right here? That is saying to us that even his brothers are in the condition that the rich man was in, which is in sin. He knows his brothers. He knows that they are living in sin just like he did. And he wanted Lazarus to go from the dead and warn them of this place. Verse 28 again, For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, that lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, the Jews, they have the Torah, 
At any time they can go into the synagogue and see what the Torah says to avoid going to the place of torment. Much like today with all those who die in sin and never repented of sin and placed faith in Christ alone. Right now to this day, those that trust in idols such as Tina Turner and many others, not just her alone, are crying and begging somebody to go up into head, in, in, into the earth and tell somebody about Jesus. Because knowing Jesus in hell is too late. It's way too late. Go and, and send them and Abraham send Lazarus, but Abraham says, no, they have a, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have a way to search this out. You see, you don't have to be, well, then again, you do, have to be told much about your spiritual condition. All you have to do is mention Jesus, mention repentance, mention the gospel, and the light comes on. Everybody know exactly what you're talking about. Everybody. There's no doubt in my mind that those who have passed from this life have received in some measure the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no, no question in my, in my mind. Because, you know, that's how God is. God, especially in America, God always, see, God knows that you're going to turn that channel and you happen to turn on the channel where the gospel is truly being preached, not the, not the fake false preachers that always want your money, not those, not those individuals. Individuals that are genuinely, truly preaching the gospel. And even if no one preaches the gospel, are you still liable? Yes, you are. Romans chapter 2 and verse 15 says that God has written the law on your heart, in your conscience, you instinctively know that it's wrong to steal. You intuitively know that it's wrong to have sex with another man's wife. You know intuitively that it is wrong to watch pornography. You know that it is wrong to use the name of the Lord in vain because soon as you say that word, you know your conscience is going to prick your spirit. It's instantaneous because God placed it there on your heart. You are without excuse. You can't say nobody told me the gospel. I didn't understand it. But your conscience, God wrote on your heart. You knew. And all you have to do is start searching. I remember years ago, years ago, uh, as a young child, I, I, I wandered into my mother, mother and father's room because there was a TV set on. And it was Robert Schuller preaching. Well, he's a false preacher himself, too. But I became interested. And, and then I saw at the, the foot of my father's chair, because he had this high back chair, and he would sit on it and return to the TV and he would watch it. But he was out, out the room for what I think he was working. But on the floor was a green book. And everybody who know what this green book is can attest to it. It was a JW book, Jehovah Witnesses book. And I opened it up to, because I was interested. But as I began reading it, my eyes turned bluey and blinded. And 
I had to put the book down because for some reason it was the wrong book. But the fact that I was interested, God was using that. A little later on in life, God would use another instrument to draw me into Christ. And so the, the thirst and the hunger to know about God can be birthed in places that you may not even be aware of. They have Moses and the prophecy. At any time you could have taken your smartphone and typed in Bible, Bible would come up and you begin to read at any time. These five brothers of his, of, of his the rich man, at any time could have went to the Bible. Tina Turner and all them in, in, in idolatry at any time could have opened up the Bible to find out what it is. But perhaps they were told it, but simply rejected it. And the reason why they reject it is because they love sin. Because the whole purpose of religion is to appease the conscience, to make it appear as if you're religious while continuing in sin. They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, resurrected, hmm, sounds like Jesus, they will repent. Oh, so now the rich man knows something about repentance, but it's too late. You see, when you're dead, when your physical body departs, it's too late to know anything about repentance. When you depart this life, there is no love, grace, mercy, cross, redemption, ransom, mediator, savior, nothing. All who abandon through the portals of death abandon all hope. There is no hope. There is no negotiations afterwards because you negotiated with your life. You loved your sin more than you wanted righteousness. And death came at that inopportune time, that moment that you least expected. And see, that's why we still have physical death even for the righteous, why? Because physical death keeps us honest, or at least it should. That one day we too will die. But will we be in heaven or will we be in hell? Death comes at a moment that nobody expects it. Comes at a moment when least expected. We get that, that 3 a.m. phone call. Oh, such and such died. They died. Oh. Go to 1 Thessalonians. You see, they, they, see, the rich man thought that by getting somebody to be raised from the dead and go and convince his brothers that they would get saved. But see, that wouldn't convince anybody because Jesus was raised from the dead. And for the many, it, it still is unconvincing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Watch this. 
lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Oh, such and such, you get that 3 a.m. call. Such and such die. Ah! You're crying all over the place. But if you don't know Christ, yeah, you're crying for a good reason because they're no longer here. But you got something worse to think about. Where did they go? The number one responsibility of preachers in every funeral, in every homegoing service, is not to have an altar call. It is to preach the gospel. Because God knows how to move on the hearts of those that are convicted of sin the best. You don't need to embarrass anybody. You don't need to say raise your hand, every head bow and every eye closed and every hand raised and repeat this prayer. Anybody can repeat a prayer, but it ain't worth anything because God never told, Jesus never told his disciples to tell people to say a prayer and they'll be saved. Your job is the messenger to preach the gospel to them and command them to repent and the Holy Spirit knows how to do the rest because he works with willing hearts. Paul said this in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, therefore we knowing the terror of God. What is the terror of God? The terror of God is putting you in hell because you didn't repent. And this rich man paid for it. And he wants somebody to be raised from the dead so that way he, they, he can warn his brothers to avoid this place. Well, it wouldn't have done any good because they still would have went about doing whatever it is that they were doing. Because, you see, it's the word that brings conviction. The Holy Spirit through the word that brings conviction. Remember what it says in the book of John chapter 16 and, and verse 8. It says, I, I will send to you the Holy Spirit who will convict the world of sin because they believe not on me. In other words, the job of the Holy Spirit is to convince you that if you, you still practice lawlessness, you still practice sin... Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, sodomites, idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that doesn't scare you, nothing will. That's why we don't do altar calls. Because you have to be terrified of the fact that if you do not repent of your sin and place faith in Christ alone, you will go to hell. Again, Mark chapter 16 and verse 16 he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. Look at verse 14 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. So now we've read a true story. We've read a true story about what will happen to those who will perish without having a knowledge of Christ Jesus, knowledge of their sin, because by the law is the knowledge of sin, the Bible tells us. But idolatry is a danger. It gives a false sense of security that you're safe and that you'll enter into heaven. 
It gives a false sense of security. Let's see how serious idolatry is and then we'll close. Go to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Let's see how serious idolatry is. Look at verse 1. Exodus 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You're not to make any graven image. You see, what is an image? An image is something that you imagined but you created with your hands. Or it can remain as an image and not be created by hands. You can have in your imagination the figment of the imagination of the kind of God that you're willing to serve. God is love. Yes, that's true. That's what 1 John 4 tells us. But he's also God of wrath, God of judgment, and God of justice. For what? For the penalty of sin when one doesn't repent, be born again, and place faith in Christ alone. You've been listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. We're on Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast, Spotify, and Spreaker. The Minister's Crucible and Prevailing Word Live is on YouTube. There's exclusive content for ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ found at theministerscrucible.com. Follow Prevailing Word Ministries Incorporated and The Minister's Crucible on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.